2: That's right. Don't let the sun go down on this day without renewing your subscription to Alaska Public Radio. If you are a fan of this program, pick up the phone and tell us how much you enjoy the show by making a donation to this public radio station. Gloria from
3: Anvik emailed us and told us that public radio is what wakes her up in the morning (laughs) and thanked us by joining the Circle of Trust for the first time. Thank you, Gloria.
2: What is the Circle of Trust? For only $20 a month, the cost of only five lattes, you will be helping to keep our programming going. And we will thank you by giving you a canvas tote bag with a beautiful drawing of a snail carrying its own canvas tote bag on it. (laughs)
3: Barry from Ketchikan says, I love listening to you guys. I'm donating $5.
2: I love that, Jim. And you know, not everyone can afford to join the Circle of Trust for $20 a month, which is the same as purchasing a top from TJ Maxx. Or the Chain of Heroism, where you donate $50 a month in perpetuity, and in exchange, we'll send you an 8-ounce coffee traveler filled with rocks that have words painted on them. Words like hope and self-esteem and versimilitude.
3: I have those word rocks, and I've put them in a bowl by my front door and encourage guests to take one and hold it the whole time they're at my house.
2: That's really creepy.
3: A person who identifies himself as the truck has joined the circle of trust and says... Keep on TCBing, Alaska Public Radio.
2: Thank you, the truck. This is what I'm talking about. For only $20 a month, that's what? A movie and a medium popcorn, or a small popcorn and a large m ms or maybe... A nachos
3: and a water.
2: Right. For only $5 a week, equal to purchasing five things at the dollar store. Unless you get... Like a garden tool or a shovel or like something that's...
3: uh, $20? Yes. That's 23 candy bars. Or three candy bars, a sponge and a small stuffed penguin and a religious candle in a variety of scents.
2: Exactly. Or some Pringles, a People magazine, and a pregnancy test.
3: How's it going, Destiny?
2: Oh, you know, it's, it's Wednesday. Anyway... Today only, if you donate $5 a week, which is only 2 bucks and then an extra $2.50 plus $0.50, cents, then you will receive a limited edition thank you gift. It's easy to carry and earth-friendly, it matches your shoes, and your guests will want to hold it the entire time they're at your house. It's, it's... Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire, the show that's hoping you don't think there's an actual pledge drive at your station right now, though it wouldn't be a tragedy if you gave a little. Tonight, New Yorker cartoonist Kate Beaton, poet Paul Ann Peterson, and musical guest Typhoon. That's tonight on Livewire Radio. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Courtney Hommeister. And you also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just one hour, the amount of time it took William Faulkner to fall over backwards off his porch with a mint julep. He writes a poem that encompasses everything he's learned during the course of the show, and of course, music from our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton (laughs) Chops. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Kate Beaton is going to be with us later on the show, and yes, she draws cartoons on her website, Hark a Vagrant, about things like courtly love, Victorian literature, and whether or not John Adams and Ben Franklin had a rivalry over who was cooler. And it got me thinking about what defines highbrow and lowbrow humor. One of our favorite writers over the years, Tyler Hughes, wrote a joke a couple of years ago. It was in a sketch called Amazing Internet Facts. And among other facts, like uh, George Washington, father of our country, also fathered a number of illegitimate countries. And the country of Canada is an imaginary place created by author L. Frank Baum in 1902. Tyler also wrote in that sketch the following... Experts on global warming believe that it's unfair that they do all the work and Al Gore, quote, gets all the (laughs) Now, aside from sending us into a 20-minute discussion of every possible replacement for a word referring directly or indirectly to ladies' tender bits, um, it also sent us into a debate about highbrow and lowbrow humor, Uh, One of our producers said she didn't like it when we went lowbrow, but I argued that the joke was actually highbrow, because it was a smart joke, I thought. It played with listeners' expectations of the value systems of global warming experts. Are they in it to save the Earth? No, they're not. They're in it for all the hot, hot ladies in the environmental and sustainable agriculture fields. (laughs) And it also presupposed that our well-informed listeners were used to hearing the phrase experts on global warming believe followed by something with a bit more gravitas than whining about who's getting the most action. But it didn't matter. The joke wasn't her taste and you can't ever convince someone that her taste is wrong. I once had a completely pointless hour-long discussion with someone who was trying to convince me that I actually enjoyed the film Green Card. It's like telling someone who hates Brussels sprouts that they're wrong. There's no wrong or right when it comes to taste, although he was wrong for liking Green Card. That was a horrible movie. Um, So what creates our taste in humor? Uh, There was a 2010 article entitled Comedy Taste, Highbrow, Lowbrow Comedy, and Cultural Capital, published at the University of Antwerp, Comedy Central, um, where two researchers named uh, Clayson's and Dost, they came up with the following conclusion. Taste and humor, quote, has to be understood not only as a pattern of preference but as a form of cultural knowledge. You need knowledge to decode it and to make meaningful taste judgments. And the nature and amount of such knowledge varies between social groups. What he's saying is that one of the reasons people like highbrow humor is that they're the only ones who understand it. <laughs> they're like the hipsters in the used record store of comedy. Can't we all just find a middle brow so we can all enjoy everything? And it turns out there is actually a definition for middle brow. It appeared in a British magazine called Punch in 1925, and the excerpt says, The BBC claims to have discovered a new type, the middle brow. It consists of people who are hoping that someday they will get used to the stuff that they ought to like. (laughs) Because we've all done that, right? We've walked out of a movie or turned off the television show, and we knew we should have liked it. If only we were smarter or didn't have the attention span of a hamster on a sugar binge. <laughs> Even so, I actually, I think things have changed because now I really feel like proponents of both sides are equally proud of their stance. Of course we'd expect lovers of Oscar Wilde and Fran Lebowitz to wear their smarty pants with pride, but fans of the Blue Collar Comedy Tour consider it a badge of honor that they would need David Sedaris in the Scrabble bag if they came across him on the street. <laughs> so I guess we all just like what we like. But what's the final definition? I'm gonna say highbrow humor is defined as any humor containing references beyond where your college loans ran out. And lowbrow, well, that's any joke that uses the word (laughs) That was really easy. Tonight's musical guest is a dynamic indie rock 13 piece that mixes brass, strings, and what sounds like million part harmonies to bring their latest release, A New Kind of House, to some pretty stirring crescendos. It's music to start a revolution by. Paste magazine calls them a gang of warriors in an airstrike of melody. Please welcome Typhoon to Livewire. <laughs>
4: to be broken At the very last someone goes from my past comes to spill open Oh, If I banish my eyes will you press in my hand a small simple token I was born deaf for us you've never spoken I'm hearing these voices in the dial tone And they come to me now Though I just remember my phone They say you want to hear something That you already know If it comes from above But this one comes from below It says you are sleeping together But you will die alone Things start to show I have been trying to make myself better So I can fare the fair foul weather I'll write a song like a prison letter I'll write a song maybe to make me feel better It won't break through my fetter I began making these memories at the age of four. Well, I learned to use words, I got jealous and bored. Soon I'll be passing out cold on the kitchen floor. Soon I'll be passing out cold on the kitchen floor. I'm when, am said, when am I gonna feel better? I said, when am I gonna feel better? I said, when am I gonna feel better? I have been patient for a long time now. I've been patient for a long time now, I've been a patient for a long time now, I've been a patient for a long time now, and I will never be
2: Thank you. Typhoon. music tonight brought to you by dave's killer bread and the bread of the week good seed with 13 grams of whole grain and four grams of fiber per slice it's seeding a better future for your mouth dave's killer bread just say no to bread on drugs we'll be right back Oh, <laughs> oh. I just, I have something I want to talk to you about. Sure, Mom. Is anything wrong? No, no. (laughs) Nothing is wrong. Uh, It's just that you're almost 11 now, and uh, soon you'll be a young woman, and uh, I just think it's time we had, you know, uh, the talk.
5: (laughs) The talk? What's that? Is it something bad? Oh, no, quite the opposite. It's good. It's, you know, the talk about... Have you already said something about this before? Because I don't remember what it is. Well, you may have learned a little at school, but we've never talked about it.
2: Um, And you may feel embarrassed, but it's okay. Uh, You'll be glad we talked when you get older.
5: Okay. uh, Mom, what's up?
2: (sighs) Okay. Well, soon you're going to start noticing boys, and they are going to start noticing you. What do you mean? What are they going to start noticing about me? Uh, well, soon your body will change. You will develop hips, and your buds will get larger, and boys will start noticing them.
5: M- my what will get
2: larger? <sighs> you know, your buds, your parakeets, your twice-baked potatoes. Twice-baked? Ah. Just let me finish them, okay? I'll, just, I'll answer any questions when I'm finished, okay? Anyway... So, your Mary Janes will become larger, and uh, soon you'll go floating down the Deschutes, which, I'm not going to lie to you, is kind of a hassle. But it means that you're becoming a woman, and when you feel you might be ready to take the trip to the Netherlands, we just need to talk. Huh? Now, don't be freaked out. All women have to solve a problem like Maria. And when that happens, just let me know and I will talk to you about your options in flotation devices. Because when you feel like you're ready to celebrate Kwanzaa with a boy... Oh, like, like opening presents and stuff. No, let me clarify. When a man and a woman love each other, they may both mutually decide to experiment with fermentation. This means that the man will drive his Camaro over to the woman's light bright and try to spell the word hello! What? Oh, look. I know this is very confusing, honey. Just, just try to keep up. Now, you know that men have lava lamps and women have Japanese maples, right? Um... I- Well, when you are older and have met the right person, he will attempt to pass the CPA exam for the state of Oregon on the first try. Do not let him. Uh, CPA? Okay. You need to wait until you know you are ready and you have met someone who cherishes you because while many boys will want to develop a pilot for television with you, only a few actually deserve to have it picked up. Does that make sense? I
5: don't know. Okay, what do you understand so far? Um, see soon I am going to trip the motion sensor and when that happens, come and talk to you about it. Yes. And when I meet a boy and want to learn how to make an omelet, I should also come talk to you. Because it means my friendship bracelet and his Mr. Microphone are going to have a play date.
2: That is right. That is right. Oh, God, I'm so glad we had this chat.
5: Uh, me
2: too. Okay, honey, she gets it. <laughs> I'm Patricia Ferguson and David Ian on sound effects. Next on our stage, and in your ears, is an award winning poet who's read on hundreds of stages, including Amsania University in India and the Museum Hotel in central Turkey. She has published five books, including last year's The Voluptuary, and in April 2010, she was named Oregon's sixth poet laureate. Please welcome Paul Ann Peterson to (laughs) Livewire.
6: Live wires. Woo! <laughs> this is a poem based on a Grimm's fairy tale. The fairy tale is called One Eyes, Two Eyes, Three Eyes. It's about three sisters, and it is a Sestina which is a kind of form where certain words are repeated in a set pattern through the poem, and then those words kind of chime their way down the page. One eyes, two eyes, three eyes. Two eyes has two sisters. The eldest one eye has but a single eye planted squarely in the middle of her brow. Three eyes, the baby sister, boasts of both a second and a third. One, two, three right across her face. Both of them tell two eyes to face up to facts. She is the lesser sister, merely everyday stuff. Having not a third, not possessing but a singular eye. Those two hog all the goodies, ousting her to baby, sit a smelly goat. Then, right in the middle of two eyes' sobs, a fair to middling fairy godmother speaks up Dry your face, my little ninny. Why should you bawl like a baby just because you and your selfish sisters aren't always seen eye to eye? <laughs> so, Two Eyes explains her third class status. Mere crumbs, a third of a third share. You want something to fill your middle? Easy. Just ask this magic goat silly two eyes and poof you'll have no less than a two yard surface spread with scrumptious sweets but her sisters alas are spying and knife the goat this babe in the woods sits down to empty her big baby blues again don't boo hoo Just bury a third of the goat guts, two eyes, and your sisters will watch a magic tree sprout from the middle of gloom. Silver fruit, golden leaves, even at face value, it's impressive. So, can one eye and three eyes pluck them? No way. Only the middlemost two eyes can. An eye-opener? Nope. Neither sister starts to baby two eyes a whit. So, when these three sisters face Prince Charming, when he gives them the third degree, two eyes tells him all, chucking her middle ground. While one eye and three eyes whine about sisterhood, two eyes exits with her guy. No more thirds. She's riding double with her baby cakes. (laughs) And by middle age, will she forgive? Most likely. Let's face it, with these sisters... It's never been an eye for an eye. And a more lyric poem from my latest uh, book of poems called The Voluptuary. This is Silver and Deep. Drinking the water today's sun bathed in, I reel and stammer, chasing whatever the wind throws my way, breathing big to clear my hazing eyes until this walking level world feels more ordinary and organized. The weight of my feet on dirt and concrete, nothing more than me. Pressing down but the skies on the loose rain clouds bustling across its skin fast as they can I quick swallow a draft the moon bathed in tasting a stream overgrown with oaks leaves steep soothing tannin into the flow yellow tea brewed from trees who are the moon's familiars here on earth. Fine as any line-up of suns a night sky could flaunt, this dipper deepens, my drinking gourd shines.
2: Peterson. So, since we had Paul Ann Peterson here, and we also have a house poet here at LiveWire, we thought perhaps a poetry battle would be in order. So, um... We've given each of our poets five different photos, and since this is radio, it's up to them to provide the perfect simile to capture the essence of the photograph for our listeners. I will be grading the simile off with a complex numerical system that only I understand. So please welcome Scott Poole to the stage. So you guys ready for the simile off, the simile battle? Did you do any, any sort of exercising to prepare?
7: I went into my bathroom mirror and I went, oh my God, this is the Oregon Poet Laureate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Panic is exercise. Um, all right. Are we ready? So the first photo that I sent you, photo number one, a chestnut tree in Old Lyme, Connecticut. Paul-Ann, you may go first.
6: The spreading chestnut tree flings its bronze limbs out wide, like a many-armed Shiva, dancing his leaf-flamed fingers toward the heavens, dancing this world alive. Uh-oh.
2: Scott Cool, your retort.
7: A chestnut tree stands in Old Lyme, Connecticut, like a post wedding groom attacked by birds, thrown bird seeds sticking to his sweaty man perm. Wow. Okay. Uh, Paul
2: Ann, uh, you got 18 points for using. That's enough. Pauline got 18 points for using the word spreading, which I enjoy. (laughs) Plus three for Sheba, and then plus five for reflamed. So that's, uh, that's eight, ooh, 26. And then I gave Scott uh, 35 for sweaty (laughs) man-pern. All right, photo number two. A young boy's feet clad in rain boots shaped like dragon heads.
6: Boy wearing green dragon rain boots, your feet walk this world like identical twin reptilian monsters, a pair of smiling beasts ready to push their snag tooth grins through deep moats on their way to lay siege to the castle.
7: The boy stands in dragon boots like you stood in the two halves of my heart, ripped from my chest and announced, now we have rubbers. I don't even need to finish it.
6: Do I detect a theme here?
2: (laughs) Uh, So, uh, Paul Ann, uh, I enjoyed uh, the use of the word reptilian and uh, imagining myself in the siege on the castle. So, uh, you got uh, 26 points from that round. Scott, um, you unfortunately got negative 12 points for using the word rubbers on public radio. the FCC okay <laughs> all right we have one more that we're gonna do all right this is this is for the contest photo number three the Flatiron building in New York City
6: Flatiron building you lift yourself into the New York sky like a Titans iPhone Snug in its cradle and charging. Each each of your inset windows and app, ready for the touch of a God's finger.
2: Scott Poole.
7: The flat iron building stands like the world's largest stack of giant corn chips. (laughs) That is, if you could live and work inside corn chips. (laughs) Yummy.
2: Scott, you got 25 points for the concept of because I want to work inside corn chips. Um, uh, I'm going to just take off one point because there wasn't any onion dip. Um, (laughs) uh, So you have a total of 47 points. And uh, Paul-Ann... The, just the concept of a titan holding an iPhone, Windows as apps. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't just a, a great simile, but also it's timely, and we're talking about technology, and I enjoyed it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to uh, go with 18 points for that one. Um, that puts Scott Poole at 47, and Paul-Ann Peterson at 70 points. Our winner is Paul-Ann Peterson, oh. the oh. poet laureate oh.
6: of Oregon. Thank you For working through <laughs> the Battle of the similes.
2: You're listening to LiveWire Radio. Tonight's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market and the Whole Kids Foundation, whose goal is to improve children's nutrition and wellness through partnerships with schools, educators, and innovative organizations. Just because our generation's school lunches were borderline radioactive doesn't mean our kids have to be. (laughs) Information can be found at wholekidsfoundation.org. We'll be right back.
5: And now, LiveWire presents Behind the History. This week, a rare, never before heard broadcast of one of Franklin Roosevelt's famed fireside chats. Tonight's segment, lent generously from the Library of Congress, was never aired but was scheduled for broadcast July 20th, 1937.
8: It has been three months, my friends, since I've talked to you about our national problems stemming from this Great Depression. Let me tell you that the American economy is slowly inching its way back into prominence. Nearly 40% of people who are looking for work in the last year have found it. And many new opportunities... Oh, crap. Okay. No, I'm fine. I just spilled pineapple juice all over the place. Uh, Eleanor, Eleanor, would you throw me that bar towel, please? Uh, look at this. I got it all over myself. I just got these trousers, too. This is a fine mess I've gotten myself in. Why the hell wasn't there a coaster on the desk? Well, that would have been more traction, and I doubt this glass would have teetered over like that. Well, I know where they are, Henry. I'm just saying that somebody should always be checking to make sure I have one on my desk. Eleanor, can you ask uh, Clemens for another glass of pineapple juice, please? I had like two sips. I mean, it was, it was practically full, okay? <laughs> uh, I won't spill it this time. It's very, very funny. Thank you. Look, guys, can we get some new pages in here? These are absolutely drenched in pineapple juice. I can barely read my speech here. Uh, how much time do we have? Oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> well, well, let's, let's just pick it up where I left off. And I'll, I'll do my best here. Uh, let's see. Three, two, one. In the coming months... Uh, no, not sure what this says here. Uh, Japan, it's Japan. Japan something or other. I, what does it say? Inescapable. I wrote down inescapable something. Something inescapable, I'm not sure here, guys. Look, look, I, I'm sorry, fellas. We're going to have to redo the whole thing. I'm sorry. I got pineapple juice everywhere. Look, I'm, I'm... God bless it. I really made a mess of myself, didn't I? Look at this. It is going to smell like a... Like a, like a God-blessed cabana in here for a whole week. I, I sure hope this Hitler fella doesn't get wind of this. He'd crush us for sure.
5: That was an unaired fireside chat by FDR. Next time, we take a look at extraordinary recordings of Joseph McCarthy hosting Bingo Night.
3: B-14. Bingo! Arrest that woman!
2: It was Sean McGrath, Andrew Harris, Trisha Ferguson, and David Ian on sound effects. Our next guest is an award-winning cartoonist whose work has been featured in Wired, Harper's, and The New Yorker, but whose largest audience is probably on her website, Hark a Vagrant, where she publishes a weekly comic and gets over a million hits a month. She draws a lot of cartoons about things that may not be in the current public consciousness, like Peary's trip to the North Pole, Nikolai Tesla getting screwed over by Edison, and the hipsters of the French Directory period from 1795 to 1799. She published her she published her first book called Never Learn Anything from History in 2009, and this fall she has released her second called Hark, a Vagrant. Please welcome Kate Beaton to (laughs) Livewire. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks. Hi. It's great to have you here. Um, I really enjoyed reading your book, Uh, Hark, a Vagrant. Um, And and I also went to the website. And it's great to actually go to your comic archive and just scroll down the list because you feel like it's sort of a peek into your psyche. The list Mm -hmm. goes Duchamp, Nancy, Nancy Drew, Tesla, Marconi and Edison, Wonder Woman, and Robin Hood Breaks the Fourth Wall. (laughs) <laughs> so I was wondering when, you, when do you know that something is a comic and when it's not just a kind of an interesting fleeting thought
1: oh um, if I bang my head against the wall enough it becomes a comic <laughs> 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 uh, I don't know there, there are some ideas that you approach that don't work and, and uh, if you're lucky some burst of inspiration will happen and then you're like I got it, I got it uh, the, the kind of linchpin that, that will turn an idea into something funny on paper. And
2: you do quite a bit of research yeah. on your comics. Yeah. Encyclopedias and the web and actual <laughs> books that smell like books. Encyclopedias.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now that Google Books are here, we don't need to read books anymore. Yeah. I know. Um, no, I do, I do a lot of research because I think that in order to, to kind of make fun of something in a certain way, you need to be really familiar with it uh and and you you know you make a comic about a historical figure someone who wrote their theses on it is going to read it and you can't really phone it in either you just like uh um you you want to impress them as much as the person who doesn't know anything about it right and you tend
2: to hear from people quite a bit yeah and you, so you started posting these uh, these cartoons to your website, and you started getting all of these hits. Were you somewhat surprised that, that
1: there were so many sort of history nerds like you out there? Yeah, I didn't even think I was a nerd until then. <laughs> I mean, then history cheerleaders getting, like you out there. I guess start getting emails like, "I too am a nerd," and I go, "Too." <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, um, it, uh, it was surprising. It was, it was uh, very fast what happened with me and the you know, webcomic thing happened uh, because uh, the response was, was very large and I was very small.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> and initially you had a job.
1: And, yeah, yeah.
2: And you weren't a comic. And there's a couple of great uh, comics on your website of you talking to your childhood self. Yeah. And um, I'm just wondering what you as a child would think of, of your life now being a cartoon, being she a cartoonist? probably
1: would think that it was awesome, which is probably why I don't make those comics anymore, because it's funny if she's like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm working in a museum and I drew one where my younger self was like, a museum, awesome, like suits of armor, old libraries and stuff, and all I'm doing is filing documents and like grant applications, and she's just like, this <laughs> You're not as cool as I thought you'd be Yeah, I thought it would be cool in museums too And it kind of is, but it's also a lot of filing
2: And you, you draw a lot of figures from history You were a history major mm-hmm. what is, What's more interesting about the past than the present
1: to you? Uh, you can make fun of the past and people will not get that mad uh, <laughs> <laughs> My Obama jokes are so good But I can't put... No, I don't have any Obama jokes Uh <laughs> I don't know. It's just what I was drawn to. I, I, uh, I like that like safety net of a lot of retrospective and um, a lot of different opinions going in. So I think that if I approached a modern topic, I would find it hard to kind of muddle through the the lack of information and the the wealth of kind of misinformation that you might have around and opinions that are very strong.
2: Yeah, so just looking bad it's a, it's a lot easier for you to feel sure about where you stand on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah.
2: Who's the person that you've highlighted that you feel like sort of got the worst historical shaft?
1: I don't know. The Rosalind Franklin really gets a uh, um a lot of press for that kind of reason where like she specifically was pointed out for uh, being kind of shafted historically. Was she a um, scientist? Yeah, she was. She she took a photograph of the double helix and then that photograph was taken into Watson and Crick's big DNA research book that was groundbreaking and they won a Nobel Prize and she died and she didn't get anything. <laughs> and that was a bummer. <laughs> we laughed, but it was a bummer. Uh, <laughs> but I I don't think that I I'd necessarily go for those types of people. You know, it's just that uh uh, as as people of the modern age we tend to just think of history as including more people than than before and and uh it's not that you seek them out they're just like they're in your view and you, you don't you don't necessarily go like you know find them and be like finally some justice they just like uh they're, they're just as valid a historical character as anybody else to you yeah. and, and to all of us because, you know, we think of women as people and or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we <laughs> do important. that now. Yeah. Oh,
2: so much progress. <laughs> We're people.
1: Yay. Yeah. Um, yeah. In Canada, like... <laughs> in Canada, there was the, the, the big person's vote or, like, case where, where a bunch of women, like, and this is, like, the early... Uh, 20th century actually had to go to the England to lobby to be recognized as people in, in the Constitution. <laughs> they won. Good for them! <laughs>
2: eventually um, you know I was reading through the comments on um, an interview of yours and one of the comments actually mentioned German Bauhaus painter Josef Albers and I was thinking as I read it this doesn't happen in YouTube comments <laughs> um, <laughs> is it ever daunting to you to know that there are a million really smart people looking at your page yeah it's every wonderful
1: month? it keeps me on my toes for sure um, and, uh, and it's flattering at the same time but then there are other people who are just like I just like the fact Horse comics and and when you draw butts. (laughs) You have a fat pony that's very busy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in in your comics.
2: Yeah. You actually (laughs) you did a really hilarious strip for Marvel Comics Strange Tales collection. And Mm. and I read that you had to do research on superheroes because you didn't really know a lot about superheroes. Yeah, no. What was your biggest takeaway on superheroes from that particular project? (laughs)
1: <laughs> they're just funny. They're, they're like, their worlds are, are intense and silly, and uh, I had to learn a, a lot about comics because I didn't know... Uh, I didn't grow up with them, really. And, uh, and doing that research, you, you find people who take things very, very seriously, and you're just like, this is not that serious but (laughs) (laughs) yeah just look at the word but at the same time like like it's on two levels one where like we all know that superheroes not that serious but then you know people who really um Pursue that as a as a as their art form, or you know that storytelling thing is theirs, and and that uh, that's the thing that they enjoy the most. And you can't you also can't be like this is stupid because it's not stupid. It's just fun. Um, so uh, so like you, I, I would never make fun of something like that and be like this is awful and terrible. But you know it's 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 fun in its own way, but then it's silly in its own way, too. It's, uh... well, you did a very funny Spider... It was a Spider-Man comic. Yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah,
2: and you had to change your... I mean, your style is very different from that. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't you really change of...
1: it that much. <laughs> <laughs> my, my muscular and sexy people are just a series of lumps. <laughs> And depending on the gender is where the lumps are.
2: Exactly. <laughs> well, I actually, um, I, based on what I've seen on Twitter, you periodically drink and draw with your friends. Sometimes. Um, can you talk a little bit about the work that emerges from those sessions? There's
1: more lumps. <laughs> <laughs> there are. There Every now and then. Um, it's, that's that's cartoonists. Sometimes they get together and they're like, let's just have fun. And then someone goes, let's draw. And then someone puts it on the internet. Um. <laughs> there is an immediacy you
2: j- yeah. you a lot of times will just you'll start drawing something and post it immediately yeah, yeah. to Twitter, does that Do change that. the way that you work, does it change if there's a great response to some little doodle will you turn it yeah, into something definitely,
1: bigger? definitely that, that will happen um, I think that the strong female characters were, were at first doodles and uh, and they came out of a party where we were just like let's draw the most hideous woman that you can and we made it a contest, like, And they make
2: Hilarious! They're superheroes. You drew them with two of your other cartoonist yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. Can Carly you say the names of the of these superhero women characters? Oh,
1: can we on public radio? Is I that think we can. Thing? We can bleep something if My we need to. My mom won't listen. So. Um, <laughs> uh, their names are Georgia O'Keefe and Susan B. Astheny and Queen Elizabeth, and they're <laughs> they're just they're just like. Horrible human beings. (laughs) Well, what I love about them is that they're this
2: this cartoon version of what women talk about, like being empowered. Yeah, yeah.
1: They're fighter pilots, by the way. That's their job, right? (laughs) Their outfits, like, will have like goggles, but then that's it. (laughs) That's the only thing. And someone has like a jumpsuit, but the top, like, the ass is cut out and the chest is cut out.
2: It's the definition of cartoonish. Um, so the book is out, but you are still updating the website. So yes, people I can am. still go to harkavagrant.com
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and see your weekly posts. Yeah, the website's my baby. I can't let that go. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's like suffering a little uh, update. Uh, lateness right now. But well, you're a busy lady,
2: exactly. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the book is Hark a Vagrant. Uh, the author is Kate Beaton. Thank you so much for joining us,
1: Kate Beaton. Everybody. Thanks, everybody.
2: And now it's time for some Teeny Tiny Tales, Lilliputian Literature. It's time for Livewire's Flash Fiction! Tonight our audience has been given the Herculean task of writing an entire story in just six words, based on the prompt, My Life Story. Members of Faces for Radio Theatre have chosen their favorites, And we'll now read them with the help of Ralph Huntley. Flash Fiction is brought to you by New Belgium Brewing Company. This month featuring Hoptober Golden Ale. Five hops and wheat malt mash with rye and oats for a medium-bodied ale. Which is good because any more malt and hops and it would have been a large-bodied and couldn't fit into its jeans. Hoptober Golden Ale. Thanks, New Belgium. And now, Flash Fiction.
8: Renee writes... Lost 12 good years to vegetarianism.
5: <laughs> Jim writes, My mother is so very disappointed.
3: Amy Hardy writes, Born very premature, late ever since. <laughs> Molly writes,
5: Internet sex chat led to marriage. Anonymous writes, Breast cancer, fake boobs, real courage. I am unknown,
3: writes. On council's advice, I remain silent.
2: Excellent work, audience, on Flash Fiction! Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Typhoon. He has been toiling away in the audience while we have been playing. Please welcome back to the stage poet Scott Poole.
7: What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight I want to be a laureate of something, not necessarily poetry, but something no one else is already the laureate of. The problem is, you can't just claim you're something like a laureate or an airstrike of melody. Someone has to declare you that. I know in your darkest hour, you want to run down the lonely hallway of a Best Western, pounding on the doors like the beat of a typhoon song, saying, claim me the laureate of something, and I'll claim you the laureate of something. But fat guys will come after you like retired Batmans wearing nothing but misfitting utility belts. Hey, you psycho! I'll claim you the laureate of my fist if you don't shut the hell up. (laughs) Hey, that's a pretty good metaphor, I would say. However, you would have to say like to make it a simile. Do you want to be a laureate of metaphors or similes? Then all I can see is a lot of fists coming at me, and my vision is like the 4th of July. Stars, fireworks, waking up with singed limbs in a pile of beer cans. Or maybe it was like a Mr. Microphone and a friendship bracelet. We're trying to have a play date, but Roosevelt spilled his pineapple juice on the president's desk too soon, and his fireside chat became garbled in ecstasy because of the alligators are trying to cross the moat to the Sheba dancing with the bronze limbs because of the corn chips or something. Wait, what was I talking about? I don't know. You figure it out. Thank you.
2: Kate Beaton and Typhoon. The mutton chops are Ralph Huntley, Reed Waldsmith, and Jim Brunberg. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and Burgerville, introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music from Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners like you, fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The Faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Tricia Ferguson, with sound effects by David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, house poet Scott Poole, and Shelley McClendon. Faces for Radio Theater is directed by Jason Rouse. Our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom with house sound by Scott McCloud. Production management by Drew Flint. Special thanks tonight to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Vondrele and Ralph Huntley. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. LiveWire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about LiveWire or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit LiveWireRadio.org.
0: Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of LiveWire delivered right to your heart and ears each week?